We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 30. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it goes with me. And I trust in the Lord that I shortly myself will come also. I thought it necessary to send Tim uh, to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my needs. For he has been longing for all of you and has been distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am all the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So I received him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So this morning, this message, I've entitled this message, Living for the Good of Others. And Paul, in this um, passage in 2 Timothy, he has been talking about what it means to live for others. He has begun this passage, um, as you could see in the beginning of chapter 2, he says if there's any encouragement being united in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection or sympathy, complete my joy by having the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. So Paul was saying that living in light of others, living for the good of others, is living for God and for others, not primarily for yourself. He showed that as the acid test of that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you remember in verses 5 through 11, it tells us, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which was also yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory in God the Father. That, that he showed us that the way, one of the acid tests, the, the primary example of what it means to live for others is the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ showed great humility in his life. He, he was God and he chose to humble himself to come here to earth for you and for me. He honored his father. He didn't lead in any arrogance. He humbled himself. He manifested this internal disposition of his heart that he just lowered himself. Scripture tends us, uh, shows us that if we exalt ourselves, we will be humbled. But if we humble ourselves, 
will be exalted. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ showed, that He humbled Himself. The God of all creation became a created being. He took on a human body that He still has today. And He encased Himself within another human being, within a mom. And He lived every day for you. He lived every day born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we could be set free in Him. Can you imagine this amazing thing that Christ has done for you? That's what He's done to He humbled himself for you. Well, he shows us what it means to live for the good of others in Jesus. But then a little bit later, he tells us about his own life, Paul's life. Look at with me in verse 17. He says this, even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. You remember, Paul is writing this letter from a Roman prison. And he believes that he's going to be um, exonerated. He believes that he's going to be released, but he's not completely sure. He could have died. And you remember he had said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And he knew that living here today was in part for you. That he was here living alive because he was going to be used by God to serve the community. There was a relational aspect to Paul that Paul says, I want to go home to go to heaven, but I'm here because of my relationship with you. The theme of our church is that God changes people through those vital relationships. Well, Paul distinguished that vital relationship with the Philippian believers. We must do the same as well. So he shows us an example of living for others in Christ. He shows us another example of living for others in himself. Now he gives us two more examples of living for the good of others. And the first one is Timothy. Read with me here in verse 19. It tells us about this man, Timothy. Now, Timothy was an interesting man because Timothy was a native of Lystra. It's a province of Galatia. It's um, our our modern-day Turkey. He had a mother, Eunice, and his grandmother um, was there as well, Lois. Um, His mother was in all likelihood Jewish by by, um, religion and by um, heritage. Okay, by heritage and religion. That's a good one. I like that one. Uh, he was, she was Jewish. Her father, his father in all likelihood was a non-Christian. He was probably a Greek. Paul had the opportunity to share the good news of the gospel with Timothy. And Timothy was brought to faith in Christ. He was raised by this grandmother and this, grand, uh, this grandmother and their mother. And he taught, she, they taught him about the Old Testament. And then Paul was given this opportunity to come and the gospel was given to him through Paul. And his life was changed and transformed. It was amazing that now he is sitting there. Can you imagine being mentored by the Apostle Paul? Can you imagine sitting at the feet of Paul as he's writing Scripture and as he's preaching and as he's going on these missionary journeys? Well, Timothy was right there with him. Timothy heard what was going on, and he was mature. He found maturity in the Lord Jesus Christ through the work of Paul. Paul says here in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to send Timothy to you. The first thing I want you to consider is this, that when, when the Bible uses the word hope, when we define hope today, we tend to think of this, I really hope so. I'm not sure, but I really hope so this is going to occur. But when, when we write in the Bible about hope, it's not that kind of hope. It is a confident expectation that God is going to do something 
specific. He is going to do a work. Paul was confident that Timothy was going to go and be there with the Philippian believers. And he had a desire in his heart that he would be released and that he would go with the Philippians as well. But before his release, he was going to send Timothy ahead and Epaphroditus ahead to be with these believers. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered of the news of you. It would be as if somebody left here today and went and told Pastor Tim and Doug what was going on in our service this morning. And they were cheered about hearing about Corey's testimony or about something else that was happening in this service, about the musical worship that was happening here, and cheered because I'm hearing about the gospel being spread in this community of believers and God is glorified. Well, Paul was sitting in a Roman prison, not sure if his life is going to end. He wanted some good news. He was looking for some good news, and he was going to send Timothy to get that good news. It says in verse 20, something about Timothy. I want you to consider his character and the conduct of one who lives for the good of others. The first thing that I learn about Timothy is that I have no one else like him. There's no one else like him. I think you've heard me say oftentimes that I think you need to have at least three people in your life. Right? You need to have one that you are mentoring, one that is mentoring you, and then ultimately one that is accountable, that you're accountable with. Somebody that is spiritually more mature than you, that you could be sitting at his feet. That was what was happening with Timothy and Paul. Then you need a second person, kind of like we have with Corey's testimony, somebody who doesn't know Christ, somebody or is young in the faith, that you can be mentoring in the faith. And then you need somebody that's shoulder to shoulder with you. These three people are so important. Well, Paul started out with a mentorship relationship with Timothy, but it now seems like P Timothy is now becoming almost a peer to him. He's now becoming someone who's, I, can't, I don't have anyone else like him, Paul says. What is it about Timothy that makes him different? He's genuinely concerned about you. Yeah, I spent some time really trying to think through this idea of what it means to be genuinely concerned. Because no one else like you, it takes on this idea of a kindred spirit, a one soul. That's actually what the Greek says. But to be genuinely concerned about somebody. Do you ever have it where in the morning you would say, how are you to somebody? You ask the question. But before they've even given you the answer, you've already down the hallway because you could care less. It was just an obligatory statement, a big obligatory question. How are you? You really don't know, really care about the answer, but that's not Timothy. Timothy was genuinely concerned. He was naturally, he was sincerely, he was willingly, he was agreeably concerned about people. And I also found it interesting that when you went from the word genuinely concerned, the Greek word for concerned is anxiety thought that was interesting that Jesus used that exact same Greek word when he was talking in the Sermon on the Mount about anxieties of this world don't be anxious about tomorrow for they'll take care of itself so Paul are you saying that it's okay to be anxious yes anxious in the right ways that the person that is sinfully anxious is not trusting in the sovereignty of God, is not trusting in the providence of God, is not trusting in the goodness of God, and he's worried about the future, and he believes that he's going to be able to control the future. That's sinful anxiety. But righteous anxiety, if you want to call it that, or genuine concern is this. I do trust in the sovereignty of God. 
I do trust in your providence. I do trust in your goodness. I'm not the one that's in control. You are. So what is my job this morning? I need to preach the word to you, to this congregation. It's God that's going to transform human hearts, not me. And I have a genuine concern that you hear this gospel message, but I can't control whether you do anything about it or not. Well, that was Timothy. He was so passionate about the gospel, he was genuinely concerned, genuinely anxious that the gospel message go out to this community and that people would be changed by it. Well, there's another thing I find out about Timothy, someone who genuinely concerns about others. Not only is he like Paul and therefore like the Lord Jesus Christ, not only is he genuinely concerned for the welfare of others, but verse 21 gives us a third quality. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. That Paul was saying this, that if you look at the Christians, quote-unquote Christians that were around him, there were people that were challenging his gospel message and challenging his authority. They were selfish. They were worried about their kingdoms. They were worried about their possessions. They were worried about their own name. They weren't worried about the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that was not Timothy. Timothy was concerned about the glory of God and the good of other people. And I ask you as, you, as you go through your day, as you go through your life, whether it's people here in this church or whether it's people in your community or whether it's people at work, are you mostly concerned about them? Are you thinking about the fact that at a moment's notice, this person, the life can end and they can be spending eternity in hell, separated from the Savior for all of eternity? That should radically change the way we tend to think about people. But there are far too many churches and far too many pastors that spend their lives worried about their own kingdoms and not about the kingdom of Christ. It's not the way it was with Timothy. Timothy was radically different because he wasn't looking out for self-interest. He was looking out for the interest of others. I think it goes back to verse 3. It says in chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, what? Count others more significant. Consider others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but to the interest of others. It doesn't mean that I shouldn't take care of myself. It doesn't mean that I shouldn't be caring for myself. But as much as I care for myself, I should be caring for you. I should be so concerned about your relationship with God. I should be worried about my wife and my family and you, as my family of believers, well, that was Timothy. Timothy was a kindred spirit to Paul. Timothy had a genuine concern for others. Timothy was selfless that he didn't seek his own interest, but his of Jesus Christ. But there was another thing that I think I find about Timothy that shows that he was living for the good of others. Verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven work. Proven worth. It means that he was tested. Timothy um, went through this idea of a proven character. He was proven character over time. Paul said in another letter in Romans, he said, suffering produces perseverance. You remember that verse? Perseverance produces what? Character. And character produces hope. That if you know anything about Paul's life, he went through imprisonments, beatings, stonings, he went through shipwrecks, and Timothy was with him on a number of those occasions. So as Paul is writing about his persecutions, Timothy is right there side by side with him. Timothy was proven. He was tested by fire and he was proven to be 
true. I heard, um, I think it was John MacArthur, he had, um, was talking to a uh, pastor um, from a, um, a country where you didn't have as many freedoms as we do here. And the pastor said, to be honest with you, I don't know how, John, you pastor a church here in the United States. And, and MacArthur was thinking, well, wait, I, I don't understand. You know, you, you can't have the Bible freely. You have to worry about going to worship service and being killed. I, I don't know how you, wor- how you practice, um, preach a gospel or pr- have a church in that kind of community. And what the pastor was saying is this. You guys have it easy in the United States. You have Bibles that you can have at a moment's notice. You can pull up an app on the computer and you can have verses. You could sing freely. None of us are coming into this worship service fearful of our lives this morning. We have it pretty easy. Can you imagine, because there are believers all around this world today that are being persecuted for their faith. There are some believers today that are dying for their faith this moment, right now, today. And their faith has been proven by fire. And the question is, my faith been proven by fire see when your faith is proven by fire guess what you do care about others because you know it's about life and death you know it's about heaven and hell it's about good for others and the glory of God's name well Timothy had been through the fires he didn't run away like some had run away from Paul he was there with him in the midst of the fires there's another thing I learned about Timothy that I think I need to apply in my life verse 22 Not only was he proven worth, but he was a son with a father. He served with me in the gospel. He was gospel saturated. I was talking with some friends this week, and they have a definition of the gospel, meaning that we feed the poor and hungry, that we make sure that people have running water. We don't point out sin. And it was interesting that they were saying to me that, you know, when you do the gospel, you do the gospel. You don't have to talk about sin to people because that's not the gospel. And I was radically confused. I said, the gospel is what? It's good news to those who are sinful, who need a savior. And what we've done is we dumb down this gospel to actions that we do, not the action that Christ has done. Timothy would have none of that. Timothy knew that the good news of the gospel had transformed his life and now he desires for it to transform other people's lives. So he was actually serving with Paul through the community of faith. I hope you're there as well. Paul said, I hope therefore, verse 23, to send him just as soon as I will see how it will go with me. Paul was not sure whether he was going to be released or executed. He was waiting to see what happens. If he was going to go through execution, he wanted Timothy to be there with him. If he was going to be released, he was hoping that he would be able to go with Timothy. He was hoping that he would be able to go. Well, those are some characteristics of Timothy that I think are a person that uh, shows that they care for others. Are those characteristics that you have in your life? Well, let's think about the second person, Epaphroditus. Verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. And then Paul hits bullet point after bullet point, five quick points on Epaphroditus' life. He is a brother, he's a fellow worker, he's a fellow soldier, he's a messenger, and he's a minister. Well, let's start with the first one. He's a brother in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul looked at 
Epaphroditus, and he said, In this man's life I see that he knows Christ. He is a brother or a sister with me in the gospel. The only way that you're going to ultimately live for the good of others is that you need to be able to know the gospel and trust the gospel in your life. Some of you have sat in this congregation week after week after week, and you've heard the gospel message, and you've said no to it. And in saying no to it, you walk out and you say, okay, service, and you've fulfilled your obligation, you've walked out of here. I pray today is the day that your, your hearts will turn. I pray today would be the day that you would humble yourself. I pray today would be the day of your salvation. Well, Paul could look at Epaphroditus and say, yes, this guy's a brother in the faith. But there's a second thing that he tells us about Epaphroditus. He doesn't say that he's only my brother, a Christian, but he says that he is my fellow worker, a fellow worker. As Timothy had come alongside Paul in his work, Epaphroditus had come alongside him as well. He had worked shoulder to shoulder with him in this ministry. He connected with Paul in this ministry. He had sorrow for those people, and he had a personal commitment with um, the people that were there. I should tell you that Epaphroditus was from the Philippian church. And the Philippian church had heard that Paul was in prison, and they put together a collection, and they sent Epaphroditus to Rome to take that collection to Paul. So his primary job was to take this collection to Rome, to give it to Paul, and then to serve any needs on behalf of the Philippian church. Well, that's what Epaphroditus had done. He was there. He was a co-worker with um, Paul, but he was also a brother with Paul. He was part of Paul's inner circle of associates. He traveled with Paul. He heard Paul. He served with Paul. He served Paul. But not only was he a brother, not only was he a fellow worker, but he was a fellow soldier. It takes on the fact of warfare. That um, we may not have to worry here in the United States about uh, preaching a gospel and dying for it as brothers and sisters around this world are having to deal with today. But I will tell you that when you preach a gospel, whether it's in your schools or at your job or in your community, you will have to suffer some level of persecution. And Epaphroditus was a soldier in this war with Paul to advance the gospel and the good news of the gospel. He cared more for others than he cared for himself. Epaphroditus, the next title that he gives him, the fourth title is that he's your messenger. He's come from you to meet my needs. It actually translates a servant of needs. Um, he, was take, um, he was sent here to take care of Paul. In some ways, he was an apostle. An apostle not of Paul's stature, apostle by the Lord Jesus Christ. He was an apostle of the Philippian church to go out and to be sent one to take that gospel out to the world. And the final thing it tells us about Epaphroditus is that he's a minister. He ministers to my needs. He took care of Paul. He fulfilled by bringing that gift. He fulfilled by trying to meet his emotional and physical needs. He cared for Paul. I guess I want you to consider this morning. How often is it that you actually think of other people? How often is it that you find yourself wanting to connect with somebody intimately? 
How often is it that you are so genuinely concerned that you are not praying, not only praying for them, you're willing to share the gospel with them? How often is it that you're willing to die? I was thinking about this because it tells us Epaphroditus loved the gospel and Christ so much that he almost died for it. He got so sick, and we don't know what kind of this illness was, but he got so sick that he almost died. And it got me thinking about my life, and I, I guess I ask you to do the same. What are you willing to die for? I love a lot of things in this world, but I don't think I'd be willing to die for them. I love my wife and my kids. I will stand and take anything for them. Am I willing to do that for a person that doesn't know Christ? Am I willing to do that to advance the gospel? There's a quote, it goes this way. It says that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. There were people in that past, and there are people today, that are willing to die to advance the gospel. And as I look at Timothy's life, and as I look at Epaphroditus' life, I need to figure out, do I really have a genuine concern for others? Do I know the gospel and am I living it? Is my life one of a proven worth is yours? Am I a fellow soldier, a brother, a fellow worker in the gospel? And then am I willing to die for Christ because he was willing to die for me? There's some here this morning who, um, as I said earlier, never trusted in Christ. They don't think much about anything more than probably this immediate time. They eat, they sleep, and they're merry, and they think tomorrow they'll live again. And they may, by God's grace, live again for another day. But what I can tell you is this. The gospel is good news, but it also gives you bad news. Here's the bad news. That there's going to be a moment where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Only those that will go to heaven are those that on this side of heaven have placed their faith in Christ. See, God set a standard that is an unattainable standard from you and me. We have to be perfectly righteous. I can't do it, neither can you. And the God can't, doesn't lower his law. What he does is he says this, I'm going to send somebody to fulfill that law for you. That was Christ. That's why Christ humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. He was the one that fulfilled the law in your steadfast. And what God simply wants from you and from me is that we trust his son. Turn away from my own abilities and turn to him. See, we see that in the life of Paul. We see that in the life of Timothy. We see that in the life of Epaphroditus, living for the good of others, but ultimately we see that in the person of Christ. So if this morning you've never trusted in Christ, I want you to consider that there is going to be a day that you will stand before God and you will have to give an account. You have to give an account for every word, every thought, every action that you've done. I'm not looking to scare you. I'm looking to tell you that, yes, that's scary if you don't have Christ, but if you have Christ, it is freeing. It is an amazing gift of grace that the thing that God obligates us to do, he fulfilled in his son. He offers that gift to you this morning. Paul knew that. 
He lost his head over that. He died in a Roman prison. He was executed. Timothy, we don't know, but in all likelihood, he died for the faith. Epaphroditus, we don't know much about, but if we're going based on most of those New Testament believers, he died as well for the faith. What are you willing to live for and what are you willing to die for this morning? Lord, I pray this morning that you will point us to the only one who deserves praise, Christ. God, the scriptures say that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, Lord, I pray that those wouldn't just be words in a page of scripture. I pray that we would magnify those in our hearts. Your scriptures say, Jesus, that um, take heed what you hear. I pray this morning that you would help us to hear that there was one, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived in a way that we could never live and died the death that we deserve and that we stand victorious in him if we trust in him. Father, it also says in Scripture, take heed how you hear. So, Father, it's not just what we hear, but we are called and obligated to fulfill what you have for us based on your word. So I pray that each one of us would go out of here this morning living for the good of others because Christ ultimately modeled that for us. We pour your blessing upon this today. I pray that your Lord, the Lord would lay a hand upon us and bless his word in our lives. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen.